after I'd been in LA a couple of years and I was doing a ton of sessions, I would have regular meetings with my publishers where they'd be like, okay, who, do, you know, is there somebody you want to write with? They're an amazing team and they're always like, how else can we help? You know, and at a certain point I was like, it would be really cool to write with more queer people. Do you guys know any queer people? <laughs> and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We can get on that. So like once I made that request, the name started coming in and like I was building all these relationships, but like for a while it didn't even occur to me. And then I was like, why do I feel just like a little weird? And I was like, oh, I wonder if like there's something we can do there. And it turned out there was. That was Jenny Owen Youngs. And this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. Before I get to introducing this week's guest, a little bit of data. You know that here on Shiro's, it's not just about amplifying women's voices who are musicians. It's also about spotlighting women's voices on the airwaves, radio and podcast hosts. And sadly, it won't surprise you to hear that we're still not heard in equal numbers. Data on the gender split of both radio and podcasting is kind of tough to get your hands on. But in one report from Sounds Profitable, just 29 percent of podcast creators in the U.S. identified as women compared with 69% of men. 2% of those surveyed identified as non-binary. In another study, women were 50% of podcast listeners, but men hosted 79% of the top podcasts. That's according to The Wrap. And radio's only slightly better. Current U.S. census data shows that out of over 11,542 radio hosts currently employed, 39. 3% of all radio hosts are women, while 60.7% are men and 72.6% are white. Just 10% of all radio hosts identify as LGBTQIA+. So you can imagine how excited I am to have the extraordinary singer, songwriter, and podcast host Jenny Owen Youngs with us this week. Jenny put out her debut album, Bat in the Hatches, in 2005, and a song from it was picked up by the TV series Weeds, which was the first of many songs she's now had in film and TV. She landed a record deal with Network Records, who re-released the album along with her 2009 follow-up Transmitter Failure. After parting ways with Network, Jenny released 2012's An Unwavering Band of Light, which was the last full-length album until this year, which saw Jenny release the instrumental collection called From the Forest Floor, and more recently, her first album of Jenny songs in a decade, Avalanche. But she's been far from idle, with a list of writing credits way too long to list here. She's written hit songs for the likes of Pitbull and Panic at the Disco. And by my count, she's also released 10 EPs since 2007. And back to where this intro began, she created and co-hosts the hit podcast Buffering the Vampire Slayer, an episode-by-episode podcast devoted to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and The X Files, that is EX Files, about, you guessed it, The X X-Files with her ex-wife, Kristen Russo. We'll talk about it all as I'm thrilled to welcome Jenny Owen Youngs as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. 
Jenny Owen Youngs, welcome to Shiro's. Thank you so much for being here. It is my extreme pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. As I said to you when we first got on the phone, I have no idea how I'm going to cover everything that I want to talk to you about within <laughs> the span of an hour or less. But we'll do our best. Hopefully this will I be the first of many. Us. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations on Avalanche. Now, I'm seeing everywhere, including your own PR that this is your first album in a decade. However, may I mm, fact yes. check something? Absolutely. You also put out an album called From the Forest Floor, did you not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you for noticing. So From the Forest Floor is an instrumental album, and it's sort of a conceptual kind of soundscape that's designed to sort of take you through a 24-hour period in the woods. And it was made collaboratively with John Mark Nelson, who's an amazing, amazing musician uh, that I collaborate with a ton. But as it is so far removed from anything I have ever done or anything kind of resembling my musical output. We're just letting our sl eyes slide right over that entry into my discography. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't somehow misled <laughs> because I saw it and I was like, but wait a second. Also, like credit where credit is due, dude. You oh. do a lot. Like, I don't know when you sleep, but you're doing a ton. But front and center, I'm just going to say this right off the bat. This is a Gorgeous album. One of my favorites of the year already. Thank you so much. That is so kind and thrilling. Let the good people of the land have the same experience that yes. you have had. <laughs> yes. Well, let's call this your first in a decade of songs yeah. with words. Gosh, what are the feels? How are you feeling about this? You know, it's pretty wild. I am so... Excited and happy and, you know, also have this sort of like constant news ticker of dread running in my lower third that would like me to remember that, you know, uh, I'm not as good as that person. And maybe I should think about what that artist is doing and like, how come I'm not doing whatever? Like all of that is still kind of present. I don't know if I'm just uh, projecting my own reality onto every musical artist, but I feel like most people that I talk to have... <laughs> <laughs> have a voice like that, that we all have to sort of cultivate, you know, tools to tamp down. But it's pretty quiet these days relative to what it's been, you know, when I've released things in the past. And I think my last proper album, right, came out in 2012. And since then, I've done so many other things. I've done like a ton of session co-writing with and for other artists and to pitch for film and television. I've made a 160 something episode podcast about Buffy the Vampire Slayer for some reason and written a song for every single episode. <laughs> so I, I've done all kinds of things. I've been productive. I promise I haven't been just sitting around and, and I've released some Jenny EPs in the last handful of years. But getting back into this particular kind of swing, like stepping through the door the first day of recording with Josh Kaufman at D. James Goodwin's studio Isacon, you know, it was like, oh, wow. <laughs> it felt like a little bit like a time warp, a little bit like coming home, uh, really nerve wracking and like also really, really fun and exciting. And now here we are uh, a little bit later. It exists in physical form and digital form. It's a real thing in the world. And I am so pumped. Sorry, I feel like I just talked. That was the real avalanche is me just talking about this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no need to apologize. So Obviously, you've been super busy. What 
kickstarted this project and what got you thinking, you know what? I know it's been a decade and all, and I've done all these other things, but I want to make a record now. You know, the simplest answer is I feel like it just felt like time. And I think a lot of things fed into that. One of the most important things is that I had done, you know, so much co-writing. I started doing co-writing in 2014. You know, I was flying into LA four or five times a year to do that for a couple of years. And then I just moved to LA and just was doing it kind of full time and making the Buffy podcast at night and on the weekends and really just uh, in the deep end, you know, just writing, 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 writing. And over the course of sessions and sessions and sessions and sessions, I started to kind of identify people that, that I felt like I could write not just music with, but like music for me, like Jenny songs. And every once in a while on a session day, I would be like, hey, do you want to try something for me? I've got like this idea or I'm a blank page, but I'm down to fill it up. And little by little, the songs kind of accumulated until I was sitting on like a pile of like 25 or 30 tunes. And over the years had plucked a song here and a song there for like these EPs that I put out, but like these songs that I was kind of holding on to, you know, songs I knew I wanted to record, but like I didn't put them on the EPs because I knew I wanted them on something else. They were like waiting for all of their song friends <laughs> to be brought into existence and accumulate and just had this pile of songs. And I started talking with my management and we talked about like who maybe I could make a record with. And at that point, I was so used to getting to know people musically by writing songs with them that when they set up a call with Josh Kaufman, we chatted and we got to know each other a little bit. And then I was like, okay, so do you want to try like writing a song? And he was like, oh, okay. And then we like got off the call and my manager was like, okay, uh, Josh's manager says that Josh is confused about whether you want to make a record or just write songs. And I was like, oh, Oh, yeah. Th there's more than one way <laughs> to get to know people musically. I almost kind of totally forgot. And the idea of like, oh, yeah, you can just like go in to make a record with somebody that maybe you don't know super well <laughs> yet. That's a reality that had sort of like left my awareness. Because when you're in writing sessions, so often you're writing with like a producer in the room. So you're like leaving the day with like a very realized demo or like coming back to finish it later. But like there's always like these recordings being created to pair with just like the composition. Whereas previous to that, I would write a song and then I would just know it and I would play it by myself until it was time to make a record and then maybe we would record it. So being the co-writer and being in those sessions, did you find anything that you mm. gained over the past decade since the last record that you took into this one? Yeah. Okay. Extremely broadly, I just mm. hope I'm like better at stuff. <laughs> After doing it so much, people talk about practicing like working out, right? right? And I think the practice of songwriting is also similar. Like the more you use them, the more you build the muscles. Also, just like going into so many different people's home studios. My favorite part of sessions, sure, writing songs is cool, but I love going to other people's studios and being like, oh, they've got like this plugin and they actually use it like that. Or, mm. oh, they've got this piece of gear and they're using it in a way that I never would have thought to use it. And kind of like aggregating all of that, you know, the ideas that are exciting from people's like own workflows. It's kind of like you listen to a lot of music and it's like grist for the mill, grist for the mill. And you're like, okay, I listen to songs and then I can write songs because listening to songs helps you understand what songs are and how they work and why they work. And I feel like doing so much writing and spending so much time with other writers, observing the way that other people approach 
lyrics, the way that other people approach chord progressions, just picking up other people's tricks and tendencies like and saying like, oh, that's useful to me, but that's not but cool for you. Learning from other people by being in a creative space with them, I think, has done a ton for the way my brain works musically. And then I think just doing so much of it, so much writing, so much, you know, cutting a vocal for a demo or recording myself the like 160 songs that I made for the Buffy podcast. I almost entirely produced, arranged and mixed myself. So like just, you know, just jumping in the deep end and seeing what happens, like all of that stuff came together, I think, to just sort of like generate a certain force field of confidence, not beyond, you know, <laughs> the realm where it like goes from being useful to like being useless again, because yeah. <laughs> you're like too confident, but just like, okay, I've done this and I'm not afraid of other people's ideas and I'm not afraid to kick the tires of my own ideas at someone else's urging to see, oh, could this be better? Could this be more interesting? Is this lyric doing what I want it to do? Or am I like just off the mark? I feel like a lot of the way my brain worked as a kid was feedback means I failed. You know, there is no such thing as constructive criticism, whatever. And I think unlearning that has been a lifelong <laughs> pursuit that I'm sure I'll still be on forever. But the last six, eight years has been really productive in that department. It's interesting because you've basically given yourself your own PhD in writing <laughs> songs and producing. You know how to do it all and you could do it all, basically, but you choose not to. And on this record, you not only have somebody else in the production chair and somebody else in the engineering and mastering chair, but you also have a bunch of co-writes on this record. That's a continuum here. And then you also have a bunch of songs on here that are just written by Jenny. So I wonder which song, which end of the spectrum you would like to start with today. <laughs> Uh, I choose, I pick. You pick. Wow. Okay. The power, the glory. How about Knife Went In? Highly, highly collaborative. I wrote this song with one of my oldest friends and longest running collaborators, Bess Rogers. And then also a songwriter that I came to know during my like heavy co-writing times who does a ton of like trailer work and ad music and pop writing, Tyler Demarest. And there are two people I love writing with and I thought pulling them together could be an interesting combination. And I'm so pleased that I did because I love what they brought to the writing of this song. It is a peak vulnerability song about when you begin to connect with a new person in your life and you find where your scars may or may not line up and where your permanent bruises are and how those things can like interconnect or, you know, support each other or not. There's a mark on your body where the knife went in and I can't get around it and I won't forget that I need what I wanted and it all begins at the place on your body where the knife went, knife went in.
coming in. That's track two on the new Jenny Owen Young's album, Avalanche, her fourth album, her first uh, album of songs, I'm going to say, first in a decade. <laughs> She's our guest today on Shiro's I'm Carmel Holt. That was one of my favorite songs on the record. I'm going to keep complimenting you. I hope you don't mind. Oh, my gosh. This is so nice. <laughs> Again, how are we going to cover it all in this hour? <laughs> you briefly mentioned your childhood mm. and hearing critique as criticism mm, instead mm -hmm. of something constructive. What was your experience coming up? Did you have any good mentors that helped you along the way that showed you you don't just play good for a girl, you play really well for a person? Oh, I think that I was thinking about this and talking with my wife a little bit before we hopped on. And I was like, OK, I know that like we're going to be talking about this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I want to do a good job and I want to contribute something positive to the conversation. Uh, and I think like it's funny that the first thing that comes to mind is a group of gentlemen who I came to know through touring. So I was kind of like already a couple years into full-time musicianship. And I got asked to be a part of this tour called the Revival Tour, which is something put together by a guy named Chuck Reagan from the band Hot Water Music. And it's comprised of a lot of artists who come from punk and hardcore or punk and hardcore adjacent worlds, right? And historically, I think the rosters have leaned heavily male. And it mostly is like, guys from those bands who are like, okay, I'm doing something separate on the side. I'm doing something that's like more Americana inspired, more country inspired, more folk inspired. And the way that Chuck would set up the shows is that he'd have like five songwriters on a night and then there would be a house fiddle player and a house bass player. And at the beginning of the night, we would all be on stage together and we would all play together one of each person's songs. And then everybody would do, you know, a short set. And then we would do a big collaborative set at the end, but also all through the night, you know, you're like, okay, I know I have like two minutes to pee right now and grab a beer. And then I got to be back on stage for somebody else's set to play like harmonica on this like one yeah. section of the song. I'm going to run on and run off. It was just like three straight hours of the best kind of musical chaos. And the thing that like really struck me the first time I did this tour was in 2009. And I was so nervous. <laughs> I was so stressed. I was like, I don't know why I'm on this tour. I don't know why anybody invited me to be on this tour. I like got to the venue and everyone on the tour is just like neck down tattoos. Like everyone is just like fully tatted and like, you know, look like they could like hold their own in a fight. There's just like, you know, a really <laughs> intense vibe. And <laughs> being a much younger person at the time, you know, and uh, stressed out. I was like, oh, what is this going to be like? And then the audience got there and there's like mohawks and a lot of leather jackets and a lot, just like a lot of tattoos uh, before everyone had tattoos, you know? And I was just like, what is going to happen? And we get through like the collaborative set for the first time and I'm just like sweating. And then I have the first mini set and I get up there and just like everyone in the audience is amazing. They're just all so supportive and like ready to just be like, yes, you know, ready to lift up, you know? And I think that those shows feel like that because it feels like a top-down thing. Not that Chuck would ever put himself at the top of a hierarchy, but he because he moves through the world in a way where he's just sort of prioritizing 
making sure people are comfortable and they have what they need. And he's always thinking about other people. And like that is something that like just sort of like spreads through the touring party and like also seems to really emanate from the people who are drawn to his music. And I don't know if that's because of his personality in his music or like how this incredible alchemy <laughs> sort of like self generated around this man and all the wonderful people that he has pulled into this collaborative tour over the years. But um, I realize it might be a little silly to put extra value on people thinking I'm doing a good job if they have like more tattoos than I can count. But <laughs> there's something about the like, I feel like you shouldn't like me, but you do thing that like is like extra propulsory. And I think getting to know Chuck and all of the folks I met through that tour, like really made me think like, oh, I, I can, I don't know if I can like rock rock, but what I can do is hold my own and I can like engage with an audience that might not necessarily know why I'm here <laughs> in a way that like might actually make them want to know more about me and my songs by the time we're done. You know what I mean? That's awesome. I should also maybe say that like the next time that I participated in that tour was in 2013 and it was right before I decided to make like a little formal statement to be like, hello, gay. I'm so very gay. Gay, 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 gay. Which I had, you know, really, really avoided up to that point and like been very uncomfortable. And there was this day off, you know, the bus was like in a parking lot as buses often are. And we were just like outside on the asphalt. Somebody was probably changing their strings and we were all just chatting. And I was like, I'm thinking about doing this thing. And the way that like everyone was just like, yeah, and they weren't like, you should have done it already. Or like, everybody probably already like just figures. They were just so supportive in like the purest feeling way. And I, I think like when I think about, hmm, industry discomfort, <laughs> and, like the number one thing I think about is like the years of my life that I spent having some amount of a public facing thing without showing my entire public face. You know what I mean? Like, I like keeping some of my face private. Not that, you know, we should all have a right to our privacy and like whatever. But I know for me, for me personally, as soon as I took the leap, I just felt better. And I've only, you know, felt better and better and better since. I didn't even realize, you know, when you're like holding your breath and you don't realize it. And then all of a sudden you're like, <gasps> You know, I was like, oh, I've been doing this for years. And, you know, I had my reasons or whatever. I had what I thought were my reasons and made the decisions that I made. But once I let go, I was just like, whoa, <laughs> this is a lot more relaxing. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. I think things start to open up once you open up. Like it's kind of like life yeah. just mirrors. It's weird how that is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like thinking back to what we were talking about a little bit ago, I know that the way that I like write and like create is more relaxed because of that. Like every part of my life was impacted by that decision, you know? Amazing. Hmm. Jenny Owen Youngs is our guest today on Shiro's. The new album is Avalanche. Do you want to play another song? Gosh, I can't believe how much power I have in this situation. Have you seen like all the like my <laughs> logo and stuff? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. all about power. I just um, assumed you would have the power. <laughs> no, fuck no. It's your time. Okay, okay. okay. What song do you want to play? Well, if it's okay with you, 
If it's on your list of approved titles. They're all uh, approved. I told you, this is one of my favorite (laughs) records of the year now. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'd love to play It's Later Than You Think. Tell the people what this song is about. All right. It was written with Peter of the Antlers. What a guy. What an amazing guy. We met on Zoom. We wrote the song over Zoom. We have since met in real life and, you know, can confirm he exists. But we were talking a lot about technology. We wrote the song in 2021. So like things were still weird in a way where it was like, how weird is it going to be for how long, do you think? We were talking about how, you know, we felt sort of like tethered to our phones as a tether to the world kind of thing. And I had just moved from Los Angeles to where I live now, which is in southern coastal Maine. Uh, Very different. Very different from living in LA. Very different from living in Brooklyn. And the reason that I, I moved here is that my wife and I both wanted to be here. Like, we didn't want to be in a city any longer. We stayed in cities longer than I think either one of us wanted to because we felt like industry-related pressure, oh, it's just like more convenient, there's more opportunity, da 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 Then all of a sudden, everybody was working on their computers and Zooming all day. So we're like, well, we could just take a picture of California and make it our Zoom background and move, and maybe no <laughs> one will notice, and it will be totally cool. So we came here specifically because like this is where we wanted to be and like life is finite and like why be full time in the place that you don't want to be when you can be full time in the place you want to be and then like go visit the place that you don't want to be all the time. That makes it more fun to visit. We're talking about like all of this stuff like social media and like making decisions to leave cities and in 2018 I got divorced and in 2021, I remarried. And aside from aside from divorce and marriage and moving across the country, other parts of my life had undergone like significant remodeling jobs. And we were talking about all of this and like what came out was this song that I wanted it to be a reminder to myself of like, well, you should probably pay attention to what's actually important and not get hung up on things that don't really matter or won't matter tomorrow because tomorrow you might be dead. Got a memory to Later Than You Think, co-written with Peter Silverman of The Antlers. Our guest today is Jenny Owen Youngs, and the new album is Avalanche, her fourth, her first album of songs in a decade. I'm Carmel Holt. You're talking about very positive experiences that you had. I asked you about role models or mentors, I think, and you talked about that tour that you were on, Mm. full of tattooed dudes, (laughs) and how supportive the audience was and kind and how that gave you the confidence to go forward. Maybe for those that aren't familiar with you, Jenny, mm-hmm. do you want to give our listeners just a quick bio as far as like where you and music first met up? Like how did this whole mm. crazy journey start for you? How did you get started with instruments? I know mm. like your main thing is guitar now, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. I know the answers to all these questions. This is so great. I started playing the flute 
in third grade. I grew up in what I call the y'all part of Jersey. It's very rural farms and the Appalachian Trail and mountains and stuff. That's what we got going on over there. I was playing flute and band and singing in choir and just like generally being interested in music. When I was in seventh grade, my stepsister was dating a guy who built guitars from scratch and, and wow. like repaired guitars. And I thought it was like so cool. We were talking one day and he was like, so like, how's school? What are you up to? And I was like, oh, I'm playing the flute still and whatever. And he was like, how are you going to like be in a rock band if you play the flute? And I was like, I have never considered that question before, but now it's all I'm willing to consider. And so, so we did lessons for like a couple of months and then I like wasn't applying myself. So I got cut off, which is fair. But then I started playing in bands with friends from high school and kind of like learning from them and learning by playing along with records that I loved. And I started playing around like coffee shops and whatnot. And then after high school, I went to study music at SUNY Purchase, study like songwriting. And after I graduated, a friend that I made at college who was in the production program, his name is Dan Romer, we decided to make a record together, which we did in the off hours at Studio A at SUNY Purchase, like over the summer or like late, late at night. And I self-released it. And then it subsequently got picked up by Network. I was batting the hatches and I put out another record called Transmitter Failure that came out on Network as well. And then in 2012, I made An Unwavering Band of Light, which I self-released. And then came the nebulous dark seas that we've been sort of alluding to of like changing of the tides, making of EPs, making of podcasts, co-writing of pop songs, etc. Have you always been an overachiever? It's like crazy <laughs> how much you work. It's definitely been interesting having it brought to my attention because like for a long time, I just like, it's just like every day of the week is for working. Obviously, if you're awake, you should work <laughs> for sure. But also it helps that like, at least to some degree, the things that I do that are my work don't feel like work most of the time. You know what I mean? So like that is a huge bonus and also tricked me into accidental workaholism. As of right now, I'm mostly do not work on Saturdays and Sundays. My wife, Jess, talked me down to not working on Sundays after we got together. And then since we have a baby, weekends are off limits. Weekends are family time. And I'm very proud of my accomplishment. It feels like work to not work on the weekends. Good job. And also congratulations on both the marriage and the baby. That's amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Five stars to both. They both rock huge fan. Who carried? My wife carried. My wife did the hard part and continues to do, you know, the hard part of just about everything. (laughs) And I am so thankful. There's never been a single moment in my entire life where I ever considered that I would carry a child. It just was never on the table. So like, it's never been a conversation with a partner where we were like, well, who's going to do this? Because it was never going to be me. (laughs) And I think that there are a lot of realities or like maybe there are other situations or definitely other periods in time where the experience that I have to report on would be more negatively impacted by outside parties. But I feel like we were really, really lucky and blessed to be in a situation where like every practitioner, every person that we dealt with or 
collaborated with on this birth was incredibly inclusive and respectful. I never felt outsidered by anybody that we were seeing, you know, in a medical or supportive capacity. And I think like talking about starting a family, amazing. So, so important for people in the world to have access to that visual. Like, oh yeah, this is what it could be like for me. Letting people see what's possible, I I think matters a lot. My favorite part of not being the caring parent is that my wife has dark hair and dark eyes and I have light hair and blue eyes and our baby looks like he came out of me. He has strawberry blonde, tufty hair and big blue eyes. And everyone's like, wait, (laughs) who carried? That could change, though, right? It no, yeah, it could change yeah. at any moment. And the, But for right now, for I'm right like milking now, it for yeah. all it's worth. I'm like, somehow I managed to infuse my genetics into this child. Nicely done. Nicely Thank done. You. Thank you. I am powerful, actually. You are very powerful, hence mm. being the guest on Shiro's. Yeah. So speaking of representation, I often like to wander into this territory because it's something that I struggle with myself. That phrase woman in music kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit. It's like, you're a woman in music. Therefore, you should (laughs) come talk to me on my show. And like, certainly when I've had queer women on the show, we talk about that too. Like, do I need to label myself as queer Am I checking a box? Am I going to be the token lesbian Mm. on this bill because diversity and inclusion and all the things? Right, right. It's so complicated because also the reason I carved this space out is because we need this space. How many times I've heard from people, thank God, like I never really get to have this conversation anywhere else. Yeah. And again, you could speak to this even doing your podcasting thing, like how many women are on the mic? How many queer women or women in general are in media or telling the stories? So there's this like necessity to carve it out, but also like the representation or like the meta thing of like, be it so that others can be it too and see it. So I just was curious about all that stuff for you. Like, have you wrestled with any of that stuff? Does that hit you somewhere? Mm. I think like something that you just sparked for me is a thing that I think about a lot, which is the sort of like rolling generational shift where I remember having a conversation with somebody who is like 20 years older than me about an organization that was like creating resources for LGBTQ youth. And this person who was queer and older than me was like, well, what do they even need that for? Like, I think the idea being like, it's so much easier now than it was for me. So why do they even need resources? Right. And I'm like, I was like really struck by that when it happened. And now I'm like, whoa, (laughs) like things are just like easy breezy. It feels I mean, I know that it's not that simple, of course, but comparatively, as being someone of my age and my experience, when I'm looking at Gen Z and under, have we named the generation that's younger than Gen Z yet? Or does that come later? I don't know. That's a really good question. Alpha. Alpha. I just Googled it. Oh, amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. We no longer have to languish in uncertainty. And that is a beautiful thing about the modern era, which is also, I think, a huge part of why the experience of queer and trans and non-binary young people is so markedly different from my experience of 
being a queer young person because they have access to so much more information, resources. Visibility is so different than it once was. But it's so funny. I think the carrot is always two feet in front of us, no matter where we are, because we're always striving for something better, something more inclusive. And it's always just out of reach. So wherever you are generationally, the young folks are at the front and they can see what we can't see from, you know, a couple rows back of like what's possible next or like where we should be pointing or how we can make a better world, keep making a better world, ideally, knock on wood. Okay, so let's even just like zoom in on the world of music. There are so many, so many amazing women and queer women and queer people in in music, right? But like, it's overwhelmingly male. The thing that I was talking about, about the wrestling with the need Mm. for or not the need for the labeling or the space, Mm -hmm. is there a need to be intentional about who we hire on our crews, you know, or in the studio or whatever, because the default always ends up being the guy that you know is really good and really well-known and respected or logged all these miles or done all these things. Right, Um, right, right. That's the question more is, have you thought about that stuff? Is it something that you personally wrestle with? Okay, couple things. I had like the experience of doing some live shows this past weekend. And at the second venue, the front of house sound person was a woman. And I was like, huh. And as long as I'm still like, huh, there's probably work to be done. Like, I think some people would say like, oh, you know, audio engineering is just less interesting to women. That seems like a very broad brush to paint with, right? You've just reminded me that like, after I'd been in LA a couple of years and I was doing a ton of sessions, I would have regular meetings with my publishers where they'd be like, okay, who, you know, is there somebody you want to write with? They're an amazing team and they're always like, how else can we help? You know, and at a certain point I was like, it would be really cool to write with more queer people. Do you guys know any queer people? (laughs) And they were like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We can get on that. So like once I made that request, the name started coming in and like I was building all these relationships, but like for a while it didn't even occur to me. And then I was like, why do I feel just like a little weird? And I was like, oh, I wonder if like there's something we can do there. And it turned out there was. And I think like at a certain point, a request had come in for, it was some kind of animated feature. And they were like, we're looking for a song that will work in English and Spanish. And I was like, well, I took like Spanish in seventh and eighth grade, but I don't speak it fluently. And I was like, is there anybody on the roster who is a fluent Spanish speaker? And they were like, no. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) And I ended up collaborating with somebody actually who works like at the publishing company, who is also a songwriter, but like is not rostered, who is, you know, fluent. And we had an amazing time collaborating on this thing and like trying something that I had never tried to do before. But, you know, that was a few years ago. And the roster is very different now. You know, there's another person who is signed to the same publishing company who's an amazing writer and producer. He's so production heavy that he has a studio where he hosts sessions and, you know, makes records and everything and like always has a female house engineer. He's always hiring and mentoring women. The engineer who was his main engineer when I started working with him a couple of years later was like making Weezer records. So like he was in this very specific position where he could find people, share his skills with them, and then be like, and now you fly. You know, and I think that's so important. I think 
depending on like where you are and what you do, it just like looks different how you can maybe chip away at things or like be intentional. But intentionality is like everything and awareness is everything. And whatever your awareness can do to impact your intentionality. Are we making a self-help thing no. right now? <laughs> no. Is that what's going on? Okay. Activate your intentionality. Oh my God. I know. Sometimes I'm like, wow, is this just becoming a therapy podcast? I didn't really mean for it to be that, but what sometimes can't it can't hurt might help. There are tears shed on this show sometimes. Yes. But I, it doesn't have to be that way. It's so fun to <laughs> talk to somebody who has such a good sense of humor and is so positive and seemingly has had such good experiences. The sense mm. I get from you is that there's very little scarring, you know, from like <laughs> an industry that can be like super unkind or at least very challenging for women and for queer people. I think that I've certainly had unpleasant experiences and like icky experiences and experiences that I would sooner forget. And actually probably a lot of them that I have forgotten because, <laughs> because I had to, you know, um, but I don't know what happened to me, but at a certain, like, I think around when I turned 30-ish, my positivity just, like, cranked up to 11, and I could be wrong. This could prove to be, you know, the worst directional change a, a person could make, but my sincere hope <laughs> is that whatever positivity I can emanate <laughs> will, like, seep into at least my immediate you know, perimeter, network, whatever, and like do something good. Not that just like trying to have a good vibe or whatever is like enough. How could it ever be? But I think that attitude and like your energetic output is meaningful. If it's not too grand to say, like even on that kind of level, like it matters what you're putting out into whatever room you're in to a certain degree, which is not to say, yeah, like I said, that like <laughs> dis disgusting things and frustrating things have happened to me. Don't worry. <laughs> I promise. But um, <laughs> but also like really great things have. And one of the things that I try to do is focus on those. Sometimes sometimes I don't do so well. When someone cuts me off, when someone doesn't observe the zipper principle in traffic, I might lose my positive attitude, <laughs> but, but I hold on to it as hard as I can. Where to go next? While we were talking about collaborators, by the way, I just want to say, like, I've had so many women on this show who have worked with Josh Kaufman and had great ah. experiences. And, you know, this is not and forever will not be a space that is about dissing men. I love humans and people of all gender expressions. And I love a good ally. And I think Josh is both also like top notch musician and has an amazing ear and is so supportive and just he's a wonderful human. So he's just unbelievably talented and like incredibly warm and creatively open. And what I can definitely tell you is that like every step of the way, like he never assumed that I didn't know how to do something. You know, and that that is like a real energetic thing that you're putting into a situation. You know, you have to trust people to make things together. Right. right. And like every time 
it was time to like, he was like, I'm going to like lay down some drums as just like the tempo keeper for the song. We'll, we'll start like, you'll play guitar and I'll play drums, whatever. And then he'd be like, do you want to flip it? Do you want to play drums? And I'd be like, nobody wants that. <laughs> Believe me. But I so treasure that your automatic like goatee would be like, and now Jenny should play drums. And now Jenny should do some percussion stuff. Does Jenny want to play ba-? Like, you know, like he just was very much like, let's pass all the instruments around. There's no like boundary. There's no assumption that like you don't know how to do something. And I think that like goes so far in creating the right kind of environment and like emotional space to make things together. I really, really appreciated that he was like very protective of creating a space that felt really good and open for everybody that was there. Yeah, I've heard that from so many people. Is there a song that you can think of where you felt held by Josh's amazing (laughs) presence and support? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 1000%. This kind of like fits into a bunch of things that we just talked about, a couple things we just talked about at least. Uh, Held by Josh, thankful for Josh. And also we were talking, I was like, oh, I'm such a positive person. But here's a song (laughs) about death. The song is called Goldenrod. And it is a song that I spent a couple of years writing, trying to figure out exactly what it should be. And by the time that I wrote it, I think 10 years had passed between the completion of the song and the death of the person who it's about. And when I first sent Josh a bunch of like work tapes and demos, I was like, here's some songs I'm thinking about recording for this record that like we might make together. He picked this one out and said, it's very important that we record this song. And that made me feel so excited and like so on the same page with him because it was a very important song to me and also a song that like other people that I like was talking to about like batches of songs or whatever maybe like overlooked or like this one's okay you know or whatever and it just meant a lot to me that he saw that song the same way that I saw that song and approaching recording it was stressful because like it's very like delicate it's very tender it's raw it's a wound that can never heal you know And the way that he approached the recording of it was the best case scenario of like what I could have hoped for. His instrumentation suggestions, his playing on the song, the way that the vocals sound like everything is just like how I dreamed. And it meant a lot to be able to make that a reality with Josh. Remember we got so lost Up at your parents' place in the golden ride with the sun on your face we wandered around all day shot off some flares at night drinking till we felt safe but you know we were right now i never said goodbye from the new Jenny Owen Young's album, Avalanche. She's our guest today on Shiro's I'm Carmel Holt. It's her fourth album and her first in a decade. First album of songs. I keep wanting to say that because I just don't want to like diss <laughs> no. the other album, you know? I know. I love your instinct to keep me honest. <laughs> <laughs> truth. It's all about the truth. It's out there. You know that. 
Oh, uh, I know. I did spend some time with the X Files. <gasps> oh my Dude. goodness. So fun. It made me want to rewatch the X Files. It's a good rewatch. I mean, what I'll say is that we're nearing the end of season one right now. And season one is as as it so often is for shows, is about, you know, figuring out what are we doing here? And there are some bangers, and then there are some like experiments that didn't, I think, turn out quite as they had hoped, right? So <laughs> if you do re-enter, I, I can make some meaningful suggestions about what to hit in season one and what might be skippable. <laughs> well, for example, the latest episode, EBE, was fun. Yeah, any episode where Mulder is like having his 12-year-old boy at a like comic book convention kind of or me at, at 12 years old at a comic book convention level of excitement you know he's just like he just turns into like a little super ball of energy where he's just like i knew it aliens yes absolutely endorse i'm nervous to watch it again because i worry that it doesn't hold up does it hold up you made I a think podcast that- about it so it must <laughs> yeah There are definitely episodes that hold up. I mean, I think one thing that's like really noticeable watching it now is that television has changed so much. You know, streaming services have changed the way that we think about TV, the way that TV is made, the way that TV is written. The X-Files, 24 episode seasons, sprawling, so much room to like play around, try things. Also, not having the pressure of knowing that like, the people watching will be able to rewatch and rewatch and rewatch and nitpick. And I think like, at least out of the gate, there's not like a really heavy seasonal character arc happening, right? It's not like, and now we're really going to develop all of these different things are going to happen with the relationship of these two people who are partners and might want to smooch each other, maybe keep watching and find out the way that if it was getting made today, that would be the case. It also doesn't feel overburdened with like, the obligation to explain every single thing. Something that I remember from watching it when I was a kid, like when it was first airing, was just like, you'd get to an end of the episode and so much of the time you'd be like, and we're not sure. And we're not sure what the answer is. We're not sure where that thing came from. If that monster existed, whether you know it evolved from another human, whether that worm came from space or not, you know that we found in the Arctic and that was infecting people and uh, driving them to madness. And it's really a, just a different experience, a kind of a time capsule to like early to mid '90s television, right? You could just see how different storytelling was in the medium. But what are you, you might really be asking me is like, are Mulder and Scully still like astoundingly hot? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. So yes. hot. That, that is exactly what I wanted yeah. to know. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I almost got to interview David Duchovny. Ah! It didn't happen. I was like crushed. But I was so, remember he put out an, a record? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's put yeah. out a few. <laughs> I'm sorry that didn't happen. But I was also partially relieved. Right, right, right. Um, I knew that I was going to like you because those are two of my favorite shows. So yes. And (laughs) and now I love your new album so much. Avalanche is so beautiful. Jenny Owen Young's. It's been awesome to have you here. You know, we're coming to the end of our conversation and I want to leave time for the Shiro's magic wand at the end, (laughs) which is where you get to make a wish. Um, But You did say that you talked to your wife before you came on to talk to me today and you were like, 
you wanted to contribute something meaningful to the conversation. And I feel like your publicist, when she set it up, was like, yeah, she's really excited to come on to Shiro's. And so it's just curious, like, <laughs> what, <laughs> why did you want to come on my show? But no, but like, was there something that you wanted to talk about that we mm. haven't touched on today so that we can like leave some room for you to guide a few minutes of our time? Like, was there anything about coming on this show today that you're like, oh, yeah, now I finally get to talk about this or <laughs> I don't really want to talk about that, which is cool to talk mm. about, too. As you may have noticed over the course of our conversation, I'm some might say a little too concerned about, you know, whether I'm doing a good job or not. And I think <laughs> I think that. The mission statement of your show and what you're doing is so important and so meaningful. And sometimes I think when I'm interfacing with things that feel like they have an important and noble mission statement, I'm like, oh, no, what if I do something? What if I ruin it all? What if I somehow single handedly bring <laughs> all of the walls crumbling down and destroy the show? I ruin everything, and that's the end for me. I retreat to a cave and live there forever. <laughs> nope. <laughs> that didn't happen. Yet. We've still got a couple minutes left, apparently. And, you know, I don't so trust that myself. It? That's it? That's all? Like, it was just about anxiety about blowing up the show? Like, was there anything that you personally mm. wanted to discuss or get off your chest or not talk about? Okay. I think that I'm the most comfortable when my gender and my identity are, you know, transparent or invisible and like utterly meaningless, right? This is like kind of connected to what we were talking about yes. earlier, where it's like, well, I'd love it if this didn't matter. But like, there are ways in which, yes, there's still work to do. And and therefore, like, it has to matter. And but what's the right amount for it to be part of, you know, like what I'm putting out into the world. <laughs> uh, if I were a pie chart, what would the appropriate, you know, divisions be for all of the things that make me up? And like so many other things, like what feels right today could feel weird tomorrow. And I find that almost without a doubt, whenever I you know, talk to somebody, be it uh, press or podcast or whatever, I'm having a conversation that's like outside of my normal space where, you know, I'm coming into somebody else's space. I'm always like, I have a blast while it's happening. And then as soon as we hang up, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, now you've done it, Jenny. Oh, it's all over. Be it that I said the wrong thing, that I forgot to say something important, you know. Um, <laughs> it's uh, being a person, you know, is hard. <laughs> Like, it's hard at the base level. And then there are just all of these other complicators. But the reason I think what you do is so important is because, like, these conversations still exist to be had. Like, there is still the moment where I'm like, huh, there's a woman at the soundboard. Why am I even registering that? Because of, like, sort of years of, like, both, like, real world experience and also socialization, messages received from without all of these things. And the only way, right, I guess, for things to become invisible, transparent, and meaningless is for us to, like, get all the way down to the bottom and, you know, figure that out. Kick it around. Chew it up. Spit it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Things have to be considered and turned over and over. And this is like, I've been watching Doctor Who. 
And you know, I'm having a blast. I've never seen it before. It's been recommended to me for many years, but I've only just gotten on board. And what I really love about the doctor in whatever form he is, he's just like obsessed with humans. He's like, you guys are amazing. And the reason you're amazing is that like you're so flawed, but you just like keep going and you keep doing it and you keep trying. And even when it's totally absolutely futile and you know that there's no way you could possibly triumph or succeed, you still are just compelled to keep going forward, to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I feel like so much of life is <laughs> is that. And so much of like figuring this stuff out and like making these adjustments and being like, oh, okay, here is a problem. How can it be changed? How can I, is it, I need to turn it and look at it from a different angle? Is it that I need other people to be seeing it in a different way? Do I need to change something about the way that I, you know, just am, the way I behave, the way that, you know, yes, these neural pathways in my brain have been formed. I have to fill them in and then dig new ones. You know, there's just yep. work to be done. Yes. Thank you for summing up exactly <laughs> what my job is every <laughs> fucking day. Thank you. <laughs> Jenny Owen Youngs, it is so fun to hang with you. You are a light and I have so enjoyed spending time. I've so enjoyed spending time with Avalanche and you can bet that it's going to be in constant rotation for me. And I encourage all of you out there, listeners in radio and podcast land to please Listen to this from start to finish. It is out now. So Jenny Owen Youngs, if I were to give you the Shiro's magic wand and say with this magic wand, you have the power to change anything in music specifically for women and queer folks, what would you change? Okay. I don't know if there are any parameters on the magic wand. Nope. <laughs> this might be too broad. My impulse is to wave the wand and make just everything so chill make the entire playing field flat and awesome but my concern here <laughs> is that i feel like an idea that i really internalized as a small child was that conflict makes you makes you better you know and like hard work builds character and right. all of that stuff so i'm like oh maybe that's like too far <laughs> what if i should only be wishing for you know like um 50% flattening. What if there's some other variation that like would ultimately, even though it might not seem like it to us right now, be like better for humanity as a whole? But no, I think I'm just going to go flat, flat playing field. Uh, nice, easy, breezy. There are the people, you know, the people who come out um, intervallically during baseball games and they just like rake the clay and they just like make it all nice around the tree. Oh, footprints gone. Everything chill. So smooth. We're ready for, you know, two or three more innings or whatever. Just like that on the coarse, gritty, unpleasant, confidence decreasing nooks and crannies of like every facet of our industry, which is so beautiful in so many ways. But like everything else, certainly has room for improvement. Jenny Owen Youngs, thank you for being with us. Congratulations on Avalanche. How about we go out with the title track? I would love that. I wrote the song with Maddie Diaz. I don't know if you've ever talked to Maddie. She's amazing. Oh my gosh. I hope that you have a conversation and then I get to listen to it because Maddie's incredible. And this song is kind of a 
prayer of Thanksgiving to my wife, who, you know, I think it's hard to get divorced under the best of circumstances. And I think my circumstances were like pretty decent compared to a lot. But, you know, I make my podcasts with my now ex-wife. <laughs> we were married when we started and then we separated and divorced and somehow found the way to keep working together. But, you know, that was a difficult transition and falling in love again was a tremendous gift. And my wife is amazing. Jess saves my life every day and I'm so thankful for her. And this is kind of like a song on the far side of the desert, just being like, whew, and we did it. And I'm so thankful for you. What you do just for me Drake yourself across the coals that I can't see You never ask for me to prove You just know I'll do the very same for you I get spit her face and problems Jenny Owen Youngs, thank you for being with us on Shiro's. This has been a blast. Congratulations once again on Avalanche. Thank you so much for having me. Many thanks to Jenny Owen Youngs for being with us. Her fourth full-length album, Avalanche, is out now on Yetbrock Records. Subscribe and download her podcasts, Buffering the Vampire Slayer and The X-Files, available wherever you get your podcasts. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening. <laughs>